This is the Swamp Scott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis. And Allie Hazelwood, if you listen to this, and if you're still listening to this at this point, like, I just want to say, I did really like the book. I liked the book enough that I was telling people about it, and I found the fan fiction and I left the book feeling like, oh, I'm not, I don't want to be done with these characters yet. If you're still listening at this point, after we've been bashing it a bit, I did really like it. I would like to see a Malcolm and Holden spinoff. Welcome back, everybody, to the Librarians by the Sea podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis, and here with me, I have two very special people. Hi, I'm Janina. I am the reference librarian at the Swampscott Public Library. Hello, I'm Chelsea. I work in media. I work in editorial operations. And today we are talking about The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. So The Love Hypothesis is a book that came out kind of recently, and it has caught fire a little bit with some fans, particularly fans like me, who might love some Star Wars, because originally it was actually Star Wars fan fiction, uh, specifically Raylo fan fiction. And for those who don't know, Raylo is the relationship name between Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo and Rey from the sequel trilogy. You know, I don't advocate for unhealthy relationships, but in the spirit of good fun in literature, you know, I like me some Raylo. I feel like that is definitely something that has to be said a lot in fandom is that you don't just because you ship something doesn't mean you support that in real life. That is definitely something I have seen millions of times. It's just supposed to be fun. Right. Some people take it a little bit too seriously and forget that part. And the reason why we can have fan fiction like this that turns into its own entity is actually from the good graces of Stephanie Meyer, the author of the Twilight series. Yes. Everything started with Stephanie. Everything, you know. (laughs) You know, I feel like sometimes I owe Stephanie Meyer a, an apology, but that can, be an, that can be its own video. That's a, yeah. that's a later date video. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this book, but it was, it was kind of popular for a hot second. No pun intended. You guys ever hear of Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> no, never heard of it. <laughs> Uh, So Fifty Shades of Grey is a raunchy series that originally started as fan fiction of the Twilight series. Yes. A very, very R-rated fan fiction. Right. Eventually it got picked up and was published with retooled characters to step away from the Twilight series. But it was an issue of whether or not this is copyright infringement, because these characters came from Stephanie Meyer, even though they're slightly different now, but they are no longer serving her. They, you know, these characters that E.L. James took and created for her own and was now having a massive profit from it. And Stephanie Meyer, who originally created these characters, is not seeing any of that money. And there was a feud between them for a bit. But 
she wound up taking the high road and accepting what had happened and not suing because if she had sued and won, fan fiction would have no hopes in translating into anything more than just being online. And because I, of because of her, we have this book now. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Well, I, I can <laughs> say that um, there was, I hate to say the word celebration, but there were several posts after the passing of Anne Rice because notoriously Anne Rice would send cease and desist letters to people who wrote fan fiction of her works. She kind of made life held for anybody who attempted to write fan fiction off of her stuff. There was a bunch of people that came out on Tumblr and it was like, does this mean we can write fan fiction now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I guess she was like really awful and like really came after people and stared them and tried to sue them. So she is somebody who definitely was anti-fan fiction on anything she wrote. Was Anne Rice True Blood or was she Interview with a Vampire? Interview with the Vampire. With a Vampire. I think it's also important to note that Stephanie paved the way for unpretentious literature and making it okay to enjoy something that isn't necessarily what you would recommend in like college reading. (laughs) Cheers to that. Yeah. (laughs) Cheers to having fun while reading. Right. I did read the first book. I read the first one of Twilight. Yeah. I read read the the first first one too. I didn't love it. Well, my friend pitched it to me and she's like, oh my gosh, you love Harry Potter. So you're going to really love this series. So I was all jazzed to read it. And I'm reading it. I'm like, "Mm, this isn't for me, which doesn't mean that it's can't be for other people. My sister, Katie, who's been on this podcast before, absolutely loves the Twilight series. That was her jam. I have driven her to many a midnight premiere and like book release. (laughs) I read the first 80 pages, but similarly, it was very hyped up to me something I would enjoy. And I wonder if I would have enjoyed it more had it not been so hyped up, but I did not finish after the first 80 pages. I am afraid to say, but I know there are plenty of people in my friend circle who absolutely loved it. So I'm I'm happy for them. (laughs) And circling back to, I think, why a lot of people didn't like it, a lot of reasons why men frowned down upon it and a lot of women were very against it um, is actually going to come back later (laughs) with an analysis of my own self. But Rolling back into the love hypothesis, which I always want to read as the love hypotenuse because I am too dyslexic to function, (laughs) but it is not the love hypotenuse. It is the love hypothesis. Although I think both, both titles might have worked at least a little bit. Probably. Mm -hmm. All right. So what did you guys think of the book? Chelsea, what did you, what were your, how did you feel reading it? Well, it's interesting because, uh, you had actually recommended this book to me because of the Raylo fan fiction aspect, but I'm not, I don't read a lot of Star Wars fan fiction. Um, so I really jumped into this fully because I love a good romance novel. And this had all of the qualities that I was looking for. The trope of grump meets optimist. I love a good trope, especially when it's done well. That's why I picked it up. And I will say that the first half of the book, I, I really loved. It was, it was charming in all the right ways. Nothing was overdone, but I would say that about 
the point of the big sex scene is when I started to lose focus and it became a little less enjoyable for me. I would say mostly because I couldn't stand Olive's insecurities. That was a big issue for me. I felt like as a female protagonist in 2021, she should be presented as a stronger female. And I I just don't think that the book did her justice in that way. I actually, so coming back to what I said earlier about our dislike of the Twilight series and why that might be. So there's actually an extra chapter that, that Hazelwood came out with. And it is that chapter, like the sexy chapter, but it's from Adam's point of view. Yes, I actually read that. He's just as insecure. He he is. That scene would have really, that chapter would have really benefited from the dual, like having dual chapters. I agree. I think, I feel like we still don't have a great sense of who Adam is as a character. I think he could have been developed a bit more outside of his work. Uh, one of the things I was really interested in was him and Holden's relationship. I thought that was very fun dynamic. And when they were talking about the antics they would get into, I wish that that was something that they played up a bit more because they think it showed who Adam was as a person outside of academia. I also felt that after I read the Adam chapter, I was really frustrated with myself because I felt the same way reading Olive's Olive's experience in the sexy chapter. And I was just like, why, why is she so insecure? Like, this is so annoying. Like it made me want to like rage punch the book across the room. But then I read (laughs) Adam's chapter and I'm like, oh, this is so sweet and so endearing. And then I, it kind of dawned on me, like, why do I find Adam's insecurity endearing? And why do I find Olive's insecurity so frustrating. And I think, I feel like it stems from some, some, from some internalized misogyny that if you are, if a woman is insecure, it means that she's weak, that kind of feeling. And I don't feel like that's the narrative we should be pushing. I feel like I should celebrate Olive's insecurity just as much as I celebrate Adam's. And no, but I think it's just annoying that I simultaneously want to see Olive's interaction with Adam as endearing, but I also just want her to have a good time. And I feel like she does have a good time. Like it's not, it's like very consensual, but it's just, I wanted, I feel like we should be able to have both, but we, I feel like I just can't, I can't have her be insecure. And, but I also want her to be able to be after reading Adam's chapter. I don't know if you, do you guys have, I I was just going to say, I think that for me, my my main issue with her insecurity is that it evolves into childish behavior. I, I think that, well, I mean, the entire book probably wouldn't exist without some of that childish behavior because it's one giant miscommunication of neither of them wanting to speak up about how they really feel, um, which is, of course, a, a another classic trope in romance literature. But I think that's where I take issue. Um, I I think if it was more internal insecurities and in, like the way that it's presented for Adam in that bonus chapter, I wouldn't have taken so much issue with it. But the fact that she never wants to speak up is where I took issue. See, I don't even remember like the the sexy chapter with her insecurities. I don't 
I don't remember having a feeling either way. Like it didn't stick out to me to have one feeling one way or about it. So I'm thinking that must mean that I took it all in stride and that it was just like whatever that seems normal to me. But I, 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 I don't think that a character of especially a female character having insecurities is a bad thing. I think it's normal when you're in a situation with someone in that position to have insecurities. But I do agree that the whole trope of miscommunication is very annoying. It's sometimes it's a little overdone too. You know, it's just, you know, if you guys would just sit down and have a conversation, this would all be wrapped up really quickly. But of course, that doesn't happen in novels or in fan fiction, because then it would end really quickly. But I feel like that's a trope that can find that should find another way to deal with things. And I think that's why um, other books like by um, Talia Herbert, Hebert. The- oh, Talia Hibbert. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the way that she handles those tropes of miscommunication is well done because I remember reading a couple of them where there weren't long stretches of separation because these two people couldn't have a conversation. It happened really quickly. So it resolved itself within like a scene and it didn't stretch out for pages and pages. Oh yeah, there's no comparison between Allie Hazelwood and Talia Hibbert. Talia Hibbert's yeah. books are absolutely amazing. Yeah, they are. That yeah. is how romance, sexy romance books should be written. Exactly. Exactly. One of my favorite things to do after I finish a book is is go on Goodreads and, and read the reviews of what other people have said, um, mostly because it is people who work in publishing industry. And so their reviews are often very funny and thoughtful. And a lot of people had mentioned that they took issue with the fact that Olive was described as 5'8 and skinny with brown hair. And that's all that they knew about her. And I don't remember it specifically bothering me while I was reading the book, but I'm curious as to what, how you both felt about that or if you took issue with it. I honestly didn't even notice it because it was already Raylo fan fiction. And I knew that it was, I knew that it was uh, Daisy Ridley. So that's just, I didn't need anymore. I just knew, I know what Daisy Ridley looks like and I know what Adam Driver looks like. So that's what those two, that's who those two characters were. She was definitely very much leaning into people reading this book and already understanding that it is, it's, it was previously Star Wars fan fiction. So just imagine those characters. Well, I have to say though, that um, I did not go into it knowing that they were, Star Wars characters in the beginning. Oh. I went into it. It wasn't until I don't know, I was like maybe a quarter or a halfway through that I figured it out because I was like, huh, this sounds a lot like Adam Driver. And, and then I was looking at the cover and I was like, that looks a lot like Adam Driver. And that looks a lot like Daisy and like the descriptions of them just started to click in my mind. And I think that's when I texted you, Caroline, and was like, I think this book is Star Wars fan fiction. And then I looked it up and it was. So I didn't go into it already knowing that. I went into it completely blind to that. And then as the description started like coming together, I was like, that sounds like a grumpy Adam Driver slash Kylo Ren. (laughs) 
Also, can we talk about the play on the name? Like Adam, obviously Adam Driver, and then Carlson, Kylo Ren. Yeah, yeah. I I think that was the other thing, his name. I was like, huh. So she didn't really stray far from that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said about the fact that she was relying so much on the fact that people would know this was based on Raylo. And and clearly a lot of people came into this not realizing that, I think. And so the idea that Olive is just presented as a skinny brunette girl is is probably not great. Right. <laughs> um, though I will say that, you know, sometimes I think authors can hit us over the head with descriptive adjectives about how a person looks. And I think if the story is engaging enough, it doesn't necessarily bother me that they don't give me great detail about what the protagonist looks like as long as they're developed well. And I I think all of is, but I can see how other people would take issue with that because, you know, skinny brunette girl is is not a great descriptor in, again, 2021. Right. It's not, um, yeah, it's not descriptive enough. It's just making her kind of like cardboard copy. I think what distracted me from that was the fact of her, her science, like the fact that she was so into her scientific studies and everything like that, that distracted me because she had a whole obsessive personality on top of that. And um, so I wasn't really paying attention too much to the description. And then when I figured out that it was Ray, then I was like, oh, okay. So that's like Caroline, like, okay, so this is just Daisy. Yeah. And to be fair, I read, um, I read a little bit of the original fiction and honestly, like you can tell an editor went through it. It actually it's I've, cause after, cause I read, I read the book first and then I found the fan fiction and I was reading like maybe about like 60 pages of that. And her descriptions are so much better in the book. It's just reads a lot cleaner. It's not like cleaner, like unsexy, but it's like, it's just flows a bit better. The descriptions of their actions and the way, especially the way that she describes Adam, it's a lot more detailed and it gives off more of the personality than just leaning into, hey, by the way, this is Ben Solo, who we only get like five minutes of in The Rise of Skywalker. Never not mad about that. Also, bonus for her fan fiction. I appreciate anything that refers to him as Ben Solo and not Kylo Ren. Big fan. <laughs> um, and I think, but um, I think my thing with her insecurities more stems from the fact that she has a fear of loss. And I was really interested in exploring that and how that might affect her relationships now. So I didn't need, I didn't need the unconfidence, the unconfidence as though that's a word. I didn't need the insecurities of her, of her being unable to, how do I put this in a PG way for this podcast? (laughs) Um, I didn't need her to be insecure with herself and her sexiness, I guess. Um, I really, I really would have just preferred it to be um, just an exploration of her fear of loss, which I think, I think is very compelling, but I mean, you can have a fear of loss and also be like insecure. That's fine. It's fine. It's really my, it's really an issue with me. The issue is me. 
I think it's different for every person. I think that's why probably it didn't bother me. So it didn't really, that didn't really bother me because I could kind of um, empathize with that, I guess. Maybe that's why it didn't bother me because I was like, that makes sense. You know, although she's skinny, so, (laughs) and I'm clearly not skinny. So there's a huge difference between, you know, like, for me, it would be like, yeah, well, you should be over that. But I guess everybody has their own body issues. So I that just seems realistic to me, I guess. I, I think that it's easy to want to put onto our the characters that we're reading that we kind of want them to be elevated and not have those kind those same kind of feelings that we as people do, because, you know, we want to read them as something maybe to aspire to, but I think it makes it more relatable when they have authentic emotions that other people have. Uh, Not to bring it back to the sex scene, but I'm bringing it back there. (laughs) Um, I will say that despite the issues I did have with her insecurities, one of the things I found very refreshing is that she really owned the fact that she's only had sex with a couple of people and that she doesn't feel sexually attracted unless she has uh, an emotional connection with someone. And so I think some people would argue that it felt like uh, Hazelwood was trying to tick off a box for, you know, throwing asexuality into the book. And I do think that's fair and it definitely could have been explored more, but I do feel like in that moment it it was done very well because Olive wasn't insecure about that. She was pretty firm in how she felt and she wasn't ashamed. And that was very refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And I really appreciate that both of them felt the same way. And I feel like in a lot of times these books, it's, it's so over-sexualized, like not necessarily having the raunchiness in the book, but exploring what how people feel about sex and usually it's just you know either like size heterosexual or maybe maybe depending on the book it's homosexual but it's mostly just like we have sex or you're either having sex a lot or you're a virgin and there's no in between and I think it's really refreshing someone stating that I don't feel like having sex a lot, which I think is actually more common than is talked about in the media, like the way that media presents sexuality. 1000%. And I appreciated that in the bonus chapter, we got Adam's point of view on that and that he feels the same way. Um, And it was nice to see that from a male point of view, because I don't think that is talked about enough in society either. I mean, I can't, remember ever reading a book where asexuality was ever talked about. Right. I feel like also that was, those were things that were mostly in um, sitcoms of like the nineties. Like that was uh, uh, something that was discussed a lot. Cause I remember distinctly watching friends and Seinfeld and other shows that I grew up with, like having that be a thing that if you haven't had sex in X amount of years that or months, then there's something wrong with you. Why? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is the 
big deal. Like, I don't understand that. Like it, and, and it sends the wrong message because it sends the message that you have to be active or, and when you're not active, there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. And, but it's like, it doesn't, if it doesn't matter to you, then it's not a big deal. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. And I think that's changed somewhat. Definitely. Should we talk about Malcolm and Holden? Yes. <laughs> Storm pilot, let's go. I I really loved the, the the development of this relationship, but I I wish that it was developed earlier and maybe it would be its own separate book if if Hazelwood had done that. Um, but I will say it did feel a little like, you know, when you're watching a movie and it's like the two gay people in the movie suddenly kiss at the end. And it's like, you don't get a fair, fully developed storyline from them. Um, and so I wish I, I really enjoyed Malcolm and Holden and watching them get together. And, and I wish that that was done earlier in the book or even just seeing more interactions between them other than Malcolm, you know, being obsessive having this obsessive crush. I feel like it was more of a deus ex machina moment for someone for Olive to talk to before, like while she's trying to figure out if she should confront Adam about what, um, Oh, what was the guy's name? Tom Bennett did. And circling back to the Tom Bennett thing, like it was frustrating to me because I wanted her to tell Adam what had happened like so badly And I, it was like frustrating for me to watch her like have this sexual moment while this thing is like, like over her head essentially. And I was trying to figure out like, well, what's a way that I, if I were writing this, I could rewrite this entire back half of the book. And so that she tells Adam, but all this fun, sexy stuff still happens. And I was thinking about it. And I had nothing. It would be, it would be difficult to write the book. The Tom Bennett thing, I have to say really irritated me because that was the part that I had a problem with because it is such a tropey thing to have like that one male evil character or it, in some cases it could be female but that one character that's like I'm gonna hit on you inappropriately and say all these degrading things to you and I'm gonna hold it over your head like this like it's it was just I don't know. It felt too, like if you're going to create conflict, I felt like it could have been better developed. I didn't like that part at all. It felt like, it felt lazy to me. I I just didn't like it. I felt the same way. I felt like Tom was entirely a cliche. All of the dialogue was a cliche. (laughs) The the mustache wielding. Yes. Yeah. It really didn't bother me. I mean, the whole book is a cliche. It's a, we're going to pretend to date, but also kind of fall in love kind of book. So I can like suspend my annoyance at cliches for things like that. And also I, it was, I, I didn't want it to happen because I wanted it to be a, yeah, like, like go women in STEM kind of book. But this, I mean, this stuff still happens. Like maybe not quite so mustache wieldy, but like it, it happens like men are, it's still very much a boys club. I mean, and it's increasingly not becoming that and there women have a lot more support, but I mean, I guess men are still trash. I don't know. I know that it still happens, but I feel 
I don't know. I, I felt like it didn't, it wouldn't have happened quite the way it was laid out in the book. Oh no, definitely not. And, I mean, maybe, I don't know. And I feel like if something like that did happen, the other person, like, you know, Olive would be like, you're, you, you're an ass and I'm not going to put up with this crap. And I'm going to go tell Adam what kind of person you really are. Like, I just feel like it was just, it was, it was not realistic to me the way that, that it was handled because it didn't feel, I don't know. It didn't feel authentic. It felt like I need to have a conflict here. And this is, this is the one that I'm going to create. So did you want more of an internal conflict versus an external one? Yeah, I think, I think any kind of conflict could have been, could have worked maybe a little bit better if it wasn't just a, um, some, I don't know. It just, it was just not right. I can't put the words, I can't think of the words, but I just didn't like it. it but was if just, we didn't have it, there wouldn't be the moment when I realized that she had recorded the whole thing by accident. And then I would scream out, she recorded it. And then so loud and so abruptly that I freaked my dog out. <laughs> And he wouldn't stop barking for five minutes. I I think I wouldn't have taken so much issue with it if the dialogue had been written better. If it hadn't been quite so over the top. Right. Um, Like, (laughs) I only hired you and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it was just kind of, it was, like you said, cliched. Like, cliched Mm -hmm. language and, you know, that two-dimensional kind of character and then and I I think that's what like I think that was the kind of thing that kind of bothered me too is that they had kind of like given some characterization to Tom Bennett and he seemed like a really good guy so then just to make him the villain for the sake of conflict felt inauthentic like yeah. they could have done something else. I feel like it bothered me a little bit when I first read it, but the longer I've sat with it, the less it has bothered me. And I think it especially, I really didn't mind it so much, especially after I read some of the fan fiction, because originally that character, Tom Bennett wasn't really in the book. He was more a cross between Tom Bennett sort of is like Hux, but Hux has been sort of split into two characters in this as Jeremy and Tom Bennett. And it flowed a lot better. And I feel like it just worked better as Tom Bennett than it did with the storyline with Hux in the original fan fiction. I don't know. I think it is frustrating, but I think it leads to a lot of really satisfying moments. One where she realizes it's the recording and B when she shows that recording to Adam and also when she shows it to her friends. Cause I just, I wanted her when it happened to go grab on and have them. And cause on would have freaked out on would have been on top of that. She would have, Oh my, I think about that and that we were robbed of on reacting to it. Cause that would have been beautiful. That would have been a beautiful display of feminism. (laughs) Now, I can't remember in the book, did she think that Adam was going to doubt her without the recording? I think so. And that was like something I really wanted her to say to Tom when he was like, well, who's going to believe you, Adam? Like, Adam's not going to believe you. He and I are buds. And then I, if 
I mean, I say if it was me, but it's not me. It's another person with different life experience. But I was thinking to myself, like, like if Adam doesn't believe you on this stuff, he's not worth your time. Right. Right. Like, also, at this point, they're still, like, fake dating. So she might like Adam, but there's not a lot of risk. It's not like it's her husband or something. I think my problem was like her fear. She had the fear that he wouldn't believe her. So like, I think that's part of why I had such a problem with that because like, if you go to Adam and you tell him this thing, like, why would he think that you're lying about it? Like right. why, what, what, what would be gained from you lying about his friend? Like making, saying those things to you, even with, without proof, like, I guess in my, in in my, maybe that's, you know, that's my real life experience. If I went to somebody and I said, Hey, look, this happened. I I can't think of anybody that would be like, no, you know, I just think that if it's something that extreme, I don't know if I'm explaining myself correctly. No, no, you're explaining yourself really well. Okay. Um, But I just feel like that was, that was like a fear that she should not have even like internalized because why wouldn't he believe you? Yeah. Like you're not going to blow up a future career path. That's really beneficial for everybody to lie about something like this. Right. Right. Yeah. There just wasn't enough of a risk for it to, for this whole thing to feel like it was worth her not speaking up about it. Right. Yeah. I feel like if the motivation for her to not say anything was better, it would sit better. Right. Like if, if Tom was like, if Adam was dependent on life-saving research, like money from Tom, and I feel like the threat should have been on Adam. So, so, um, Allie should have not Allie, (laughs) that's the author, but so Olive would have been more inclined to be like, well, I'm not going to tell him because he's been working so hard. And Tom just told me that he's going to steal all of Adam's research and pull all of his funding And like all this life-saving research isn't going to amount to anything. So I can't say anything because a people will still be ill from whatever, like, let's say they made up a disease and like Adam was like funding, like trying to figure out how to cure this disease. Right. And like, it was a life threatening kind of. Yeah. And she's like, and I just need the stakes needed to be higher for her Mm -hmm. not to tell him. Right. Right. And not just, oh, they're BFFs. And it's like, well, what kind of person hits on, like, how good of a friend are you if you are hitting on this, um, your friends, even though they're fake dating, the, their girlfriend? Like, is that a friend worth keeping? Is that a friendship worth saving <laughs> to yeah. not tell him? <laughs> I feel like this whole situation could have been reworked with just a little bit better, just better um, motivation. Right. I I think that that's part of the fan fiction trope thing too, is that there's a lot of fan fiction writers that, you know, do those kind of tropes. And there's a lot of fan fiction writers that, rely on one-dimensional characters to move the plot along and they're usually one-dimensional evil characters who um don't have much of a personality but their main function is just to create trouble 
and they're always like the mustache wielding kind of, you know, characters. And, and I see him a lot, unfortunately, when it comes to women in fan fiction that the other girl, like there's always another girl that is a threat to the relationship and she's always, you know, flirty and um, she's always, you know, over the top with her showing affection to somebody else and she's the threat to the relationship or there's like the really um, evil villain that hates the heroine and, you know, it tries to take down the, the heroine and does it in a really bad way, you know, like just, I don't know. I think of, uh, I can't even think now, but (laughs) Oh my God. I just thought of that. I just thought instead of him like threatening her with like, or like making like moves on her, if he came up to her and was like, listen, I'm going to, you're going to come work for me and I'm going to take all your research and publish it under my name. And you're going to, you're going to do that for me because if you don't, I am going to pull all of Adam's funding for his life-saving research that he is doing and have thread through the entire rest of the book. Yeah, that that would have been more of a... I think that would have been better. Yeah, yeah. And Allie Hazelwood, if you listen to this, and if you're still listening to this at this point, like, I just want to say, I did really like the book. I liked the book enough that I was telling people about it, and I found the fan fiction and I left the book feeling like, Oh, I'm not, I don't want to be done with these characters yet. If you're still listening at this point, after we've been bashing it a bit, I did really like it. I would like to see a Malcolm and Holden spinoff series. So if you could give that to us, I would greatly appreciate it. (laughs) I think the next segment we should do is things that we did love about the book. Yeah. probably. (laughs) It's so much easier to talk about the things you didn't like Mm -hmm. that's just my experience with like having done um a book club for a while in the city before COVID just like we always end up talking about the things we didn't like for hours (laughs) we but you know I did we did discuss the sex positivity yes was a highlight also how trash was Malcolm knowing that they're fake dating and being like oh she's good she doesn't need a room I know (laughs) Like, he knew. He knew what was happening. Yeah. That whole thing was, I mean, again, it's kind of like a lazy way of writing in a conflict in which Olive and Adam have to share a hotel room so that they can That's if there were two beds. Yeah. That would have been too much. I mean, I'm, I'm all, you know, I obviously was like, you know, getting all giddy, like, ooh, they have to share a hotel room. It means it's coming. But, like, there could have been a much like more natural way of that happening (laughs) yeah or like there would be a problem with the hotel rooms and like some of them like the one that they had they couldn't so they had to scramble yeah i think why don't i write books (laughs) you know there's it's never too late i know you know there's a world in which you could write a star wars comic i would have to sit down and like put time in you would yes Generally, that's how that works. <laughs> it is how that works. <laughs> All right. 
So I think for this next segment, we should move on to things we did really love about the book. And I will go first. I loved the entire first part of the book from the opening scene to her finishing up her her speech at the conference. I think that entire segment was absolutely perfection. Some of the highlights were some of the highlights were honestly when she first kisses him because that's hilarious. And he's like, I'm going to file Title IX. And I'm like, I'm glad we're talking about Title IX. And then I love when she brings him to get his flu vaccine. And then um, I loved, what else? Oh, I loved them going to the sushi place. That was funny, but also made me want to gag a little bit thinking about eating that rolling around sushi. And then honestly, even though like, obviously we just bashed the whole (laughs) Tom Bennett assaulting her thing, but I loved when Adam found out that was great. Like, listen, I am not about violence, but I am about the threat of violence (laughs) in literature, not any other time. (laughs) But yeah, no, that was really great. I would like to talk about for a second what one of the scenes that I really liked, and this is because it was so gratuitous, is when he was pushing the car and he took a shirt off. Yes, I forgot yes. about that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, and I, I think it was maybe then that I was that I put the pieces together that it was um, Adam Driver, and I was like, okay, I can see this. Now. <laughs> And just hear John Oliver going, push a giant truck shirtless, you great woolly man. Yes. My other favorite was when they were at, I don't know, it was some talk and he pulled her onto his lap. I love things like that. That just gets me every single time. Gave me anxiety because there's no way that that room was that crowded that nobody would notice and it would be appropriate. Right, right. But also, it was adorable. But it was so adorable. Yeah, it was so adorable. And I love, like, I don't know, like physical connections like that when, you know, you're in somebody else's space, like in a book, when they're in each other's spaces and, you know, they're fighting this attraction. And I just love stuff like that. Uh, I would say, a plus on normalizing asexuality I mentioned this earlier, but worth mentioning again, I think that was a very important topic uh, to discuss and the way that she wrote it. I really appreciated. I would also say I loved the flirty antics. I similarly swooned when he pulled her into his lap and um, the sunscreen bit and, um, as someone who used to read uh, schmaltzy romance books for um, Entangled Publishing, I've read a lot of over-the-top romances, but I, I think this was done in, in just the right amount. Um, so I appreciated that. And if you get me to swoon, I think that's that's an A-plus in my book. And I will say the other thing that we didn't really touch upon, but what I loved was the nuance of what is considered emotional abuse in not just like the workplace, but in this case, academia, and that it was a bit complicated and it wasn't so black and white with Adam. I think in the beginning, I'm like, well, yeah, this guy's a jerk. But when they really dig into it and show both sides and that he's trying to prepare people for 
the real life and the things that are going to the obstacles that they're going to face and um and then showing the difference between the experience that he had with his mentor and what actual what emotional abuse can look like and what he is trying to do and how he's trying to prepare his students for the real world. So I, I appreciated that nuance as well. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that was really necessary. It, it made me never want to venture into science. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no women. We need more women in STEM. I know that was a very anti like feminist thing to say, but um, yeah, just the, I, I just know that I personally would crumble under the pressure. <laughs> I think it was great though. The, there was a lot I didn't know about academia and, and it really shed a lot of light onto how difficult it is. And though, if you make it through a PhD and you're still in it, like huge props to you because it is not easy. Right. Right. And it definitely shed a light on like the monetary status because I always felt, I always had the misconception that, oh, you're a scientist, you make like, you're doing all these great experiments, you're making a ton of money and it's actually, you're not making anything. (laughs) You're struggling. It's like being a librarian. (laughs) Yeah, like being a librarian. (laughs) Because we do it for the money. Yeah. Which is another thing I want to change. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Allie Hazelwood, if you listened this far uh, and to everybody else listening out there, I am excited for her next book, Love on the Brain, which I think comes out in March. Yes, I will definitely be reading that. Yeah. And I think she has some short stories coming out soon, too, but I'm I'm not quite sure when. So if you are listening to this point, Allie, even though we did rip some things apart, we still want to read your next book. Yes. yes we welcome- and if you want to come on this podcast. Yeah. Sorry, Chelsea, go. We welcome more, more nerdy content. We love yeah. it and embrace it and want more. Please write more yeah. stories about women in STEM. Please and yeah. thank you. Yes. <laughs>